Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Kleinman. Welcome back to Contacts. We are here with Isaac Williams, head men's basketball coach at Cal State Monterey Bay. Coach, really stoked to have you. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I appreciate you beaming me in from Pebble Beach, so uh, happy to be here. Awesome. So if you wouldn't mind taking us through your background as a coach, how did you get into the profession? How did you end up taking your first job and then landing here at Monterey, ultimately. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, everybody says this, I'm sure, but my journey is a unique one, mostly because of where it started. I was, like a lot of kids, I had a tough uh, upbringing, and I was lucky enough and blessed enough to become really good friends with a kid whose parents took me under their wing, and he played basketball. And so when I was in the ninth grade, I played basketball because he did and we could go play on the courts that were close to our place. And so I found joy in that. So tried out as freshman, got cut. That was my first experience with team basketball. They asked me to be the manager. I of course said no, but that sparked something in me that I probably didn't know I had because I hadn't really had too much experience with youth sports. I think I'd played a year of baseball and one year of soccer, um, maybe one year of basketball as well when I was coming up. Basically saying, being told that I wasn't good enough, really lit something in me. And by the following year, I was one of the best couple sophomores. And I was lucky enough to play for a person who completely changed the trajectory of my entire life. Uh, his name was Jeff White. He was a JV basketball coach and worked at Pepsi. Still does stuff with Pepsi to this day, but he just was young. He had just got done playing in college. And so he was cool and he gave us just a lot of great life lessons. And so basically about halfway through that year, I just felt like totally different as a person. My confidence was like completely changed and he gave me something to look forward to. And so I, I knew then in the 10th grade that I wanted to be a basketball coach. And so everything between then and becoming a basketball coach was with that in mind. So I played in college at Eastern Oregon University but even through all of that, I was never one of the people that wanted to play overseas or of course that would have been great. But in my mind, I was just trying to learn as much as I could through playing, take my career as far as it could go so that I could just learn the craft. So once I was done, my head coach, Art Furman, connected me with the high school, the local there at LeGrand High School. And they had a freshman boys basketball job open. And so I think I interviewed for about five seconds and was given the job because I just got done playing. And that team, I think still to this day, has the best freshman boys record in the history of LeGrand High. So I'm really proud of that. I think we were like 23 and two. So that was kind of what sparked my career. So I coached freshman JV, had a chance to coach uh, varsity girls. Again, at that point I was told I probably wasn't the right person for the boys job. Both boys and girls were open at the same time. I applied for the boys. Uh, they said, nah, probably not a good fit. And I had coached a lot of the brothers of the girls. 
And so the girls were telling me, hey, you should still coach the girls. And I was like, eh, I don't know about coaching girls. They cry. And <laughs> I just wasn't really quite ready for that. But the people that I knew in coaching said, hey, you'll get to be a teacher, which is a full-time job, and you get to be a head coach. Like, you have to do it. So I did it. It was an amazing experience. We, we got three state trophies in my four years there. It was a wonderful group of kids, many of whom I'm still close with to this day. From that point, I actually, my college roommate, teammate, Ryan Looney, was given the head coaching job at Eastern Oregon where we both played. And he asked me to leave my $32,000 a year job for a $2,000 a year job and somehow convinced me to do it. So I was an assistant coach at Eastern Oregon, turned around a program that had uh, struggled a little bit. So over the next five years, I was his assistant. I, my pay went up a little bit as we went. But, but anyway, through those five years, we went from four and 22 to the sweet 16, actually elite eight, our fifth year. He was got he given another job at Seattle Pacific. I was given a promotion to be the head coach. And so that was kind of my entry into being college head coach. We had four great years. Uh, the fourth year we were number one in the country for several weeks. And I remember going down, grabbing a frozen yogurt one spring night and had a random phone call from Boise. And that was the head coach there at Leon Rice called me out of the blue and basically offered me an opportunity to go over and see what their deal was all about. And then later offered me a position on their staff. Wasn't really sure. We, we had a great, we were, we won 28 games that year. We had 10 returners. I was really comfortable in LeGrand and being working for somebody else didn't really appeal to me that much, to be honest, but my wife really wanted to go. And basically that trumped everything else. And I had put them on the back burner for a lot of my coaching things leading up to that. So it felt like I could learn something from being in Boise, which was amazing experience. So was there for three years, played at Kentucky and Arizona and Wisconsin. And we won the Mount West one year. We had the player of the year one year, met a lot of great people, lived in a great city, but ultimately just wanted to get back to having my own program where you can create your own culture and not have to answer to what the other people think is important. And I often compare it to when you're a division one, it's like working for a major conglomerate. You're just a cog in the machine and the machine's just churning out whatever it can to produce products and money and being a small college coach is like being a small business owner. Like maybe you don't, you're not going to be on the NASDAQ or whatever, but you're creating what you want to create, what you're passionate about. And your everyday being is wrapped up into that business. And just, it was more for me after that, I actually returned to Eastern Oregon for one year, the job was open and AD called me and just asked for my help to go back and that was great. We went to the Sweet 16. We won a bunch of games, coached some great kids. And then the Monterey Bay job opened and it's in Monterey. So that kind of speaks for itself there. I had a chance to bring my family down, experience something different. And so we're looking at hopefully going into year four, if we can get some basketball in with COVID going on. So that's how I got here. Great story, coach. Appreciate you sharing those details and really giving us some insight into your background. You mentioned your JV coach, Jeff White, and the life lessons and confidence he instilled in you. Are there any of those life lessons that you've carried with you that you use with your own guys? Oh, absolutely. 
he, he is an amazing guy. Son actually just graduated and he'll be a freshman in junior college this year. So it's crazy to think back on how, how long it's been. But one thing I remember vividly is he was really big on confidence and that you had to have it. And he would tell you these little things along the way. And I had really had no, had experienced nothing, especially from a male figure that could that, that make me want to believe in myself. In my life, I hadn't really seen anybody that looked like success. And so he kind of told me often what I could be and things like that. And one in particular, I remember I, so I'm a sophomore in high school, Xavier McDaniel played for the Sonics. The Sonics were my team and he came out with the shoe, spot built, and they were black. Now in 1986 or seven, one a lot of black shoes out there on the marketplace. And so I came to practice. We, were, we didn't have Nike money, so I had spot belts. And I remember him <laughs> calling me over and saying, you know what, man, like black shoes, you got to be good to wear black shoes. And I don't mean like be on the team, like you got to play. So I remember him always telling me, if you want to play good, you got to look good. And always got to look the part. And he would always tell me from that day forward, he would comment, man, those shoes look good on you. And it was his way of saying, you are that good. And that he was never direct in saying, you're the best player, or you could be this, or you could be that. But he would find ways to just make me believe in myself in 50 different ways that were, that meant more than him just saying, you're good enough. And so I remember that as one of the major lessons. And then also... The big thing with him was team. And so I remember vividly a game we're playing that was getting scrappy and it looked like there was going to be a fight. I was on the bench at the time and two guys got face to face. And I remember him looking down the bench at all of us and said, if someone goes down out there, anybody who's left sitting over here is going to have to fight me. <laughs> it was like him saying team over everything. Like you don't leave your brothers out there we're in it all together. If that means everybody getting thrown out of the game, then we're all getting thrown out of the game together. So uh, the value of team was something he instilled really early and in a lot of ways and something that means a lot to me and on how I approach it as well. Great. And I would imagine that in the climate today, the, the tact would be a little different to emphasize <laughs> that than what was once done years ago, but that the idea of team and the idea of building confidence in your athletes I think transcends era of sport. One thing I would say is like, I'm not, I'm not overly perceptive about many things, but I think in basketball, I've always known who I was and I could always see the big picture. And, and I don't know why that is, but like in those moments, I knew he wasn't saying, let's all go fight just to go fight. I knew what he meant. And so like lessons along the way that I learned from Jeff or from the head coach the following year, John Sidden, or coaches I played for in college or in various tournaments or whatever. Like I've always been able to apply those lessons to the bigger, broader picture. And so I don't have a lot of strengths, but I guess that's one of them. Which is reading into the spirit of the coaching versus the letter of what they said, which is a big right. part of that. And if you think about your experience having success at Eastern Oregon as a coach, finding success at Boise, and then deciding, all right, hey, let's go check out this thing at Monterey. But even in those early jobs, feeling prepared, 
feeling early on, I want to be a coach. So I'm trying to learn as I go versus falling backwards into this thing a little bit. What did you figure out that you still needed to learn once you were in the chair as a coach, ninth grade, JV, the girl's job, which you mentioned is very different. The assistant job at the college level, the head job, finding success, and then coming here and essentially having to to start from scratch and not seeing that same success. What have you learned in those times? Like, wow, I got to learn this. Oh, there's not enough podcast airtime to go through that. Coaching is just like an ever-evolving situation. Not only the game itself, people evolve. And the kids, like you just mentioned, like it's a very different climate than it was back then. You obviously couldn't have your whole team leaving the bench to get into a fight today. You might have your season canceled. Who knows? But like just understanding that all of it is fluid and that you have to be willing to adapt and adjust not only given a particular season in terms of like X's and O's, but in terms of like how you treat and manage your team and the groups of people and like their experience is different than my experiences and they're different than the kids I coached 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I would say in the beginning, I was stubborn. I thought I knew a lot about everything. And I just think even in teams that I've, we've had success, I've had to realize along the way that I just don't know everything. And it's important to just keep learning, being a lifelong learner, not just basketball, but you know how to build and maintain relationships and friendships and how to cultivate different. You know, now that I'm getting up there in age, it's just I don't have as much in common with 19-year-old kids. And so how do I change and adjust and how do I reach them? And so it's not, it hasn't always been easy, to be honest with you. There are a lot of things about this generation that I just don't get, you know, so I have to work at it. And so if you want to be good at anything, I imagine you're just not able to be static in your thoughts. And I think that's something I learned along the way is that you just have to be willing to admit to yourself that you don't know everything and, and be hungry for knowledge in all the different areas, not just the ones that would be simple or that come with it. It'd be easy to look at basketball and say, hey, by this time, you better have a great ball screen defense and know how to motivate your team. But it's different to, to look at it and go like, this kid might need my help, but because of their relationship with social media and how they interact with people, they may not know how to ask for it. So how do I look for the signs? All these different things, you gotta, you have to like apply yourself in different ways to just learning who they are and what they're about, what makes them go and how can you help their journey? So taking all that into account, being fluid, lifelong learner, realizing that you don't know everything when you thought you did, how has your coaching evolved over time? Your approach to coaching, what has changed for you? Oh, wow. Well, in the beginning, it was all about toughness. And obviously this was a different time. I think my first... I was in the late 90s, I started coaching. So it was like, I'm the freshman coach. He basically just said, hey, you're hired. Tomorrow's tryouts. We're going to send 30 kids down there. Let me know who you pick. (laughs) And then all that year, we practiced in the auxiliary gym. I don't think the head coach or the JV coach or anybody else ever came in. It was just me and the boys. And I was really hard on them. I never gave praise of any kind. It was really just like about toughness and teamwork and this and that, but you had to be mentally and physically strong. We ran a ton, like conditioning was crazy. And over the years, obviously like conditioning is important, 
and some of those same toughness and all those things, but you just can't have your team running into each other full speed in 2020, the way that you could back in 1996. I don't think in a lifetime of basketball, I had never heard of a concussion in basketball until, I don't know, a few years ago. And now you can't escape a season where you don't have two or three. And it's not that they didn't always exist, but people are aware. And so I've had to adjust the physical nature of practice. And then my communication, like back then, it was just like, do it this way. It's my way, the highway. And now it's more like trying to explain why it's important to do these things. And even though you don't agree, let me show you on film examples of what it looks like when it goes wrong and when it goes right. You just have to approach it. You have to teach things on multiple levels, on the court, in the office, on on film, on the phone, through the parents, sometimes through the AAU coach, through the high school coach. So you have to hit these kids from a lot of different angles. Back then, it was really more just they did what you asked them to do because you were the coach. And being the coach doesn't qualify you anymore. You have to do a lot more to earn their trust. And so that's really evolved over time and being able to catch up to that and understand it and be okay with it has been an adjustment for sure. Would you say that your approach has changed due to a societal evolution or a personal evolution or a combination of both? Yeah, it's all of it. Like I've changed for sure, but I felt like I've had to change. I don't think if I coached the way that I did back then, I was never a yell or scream or cuss out guy or anything like that, but I was, I just was not. And I'm, this is one area for me that's really, I struggle with is when it comes to basketball, I'm not like a big praise guy. I see a lot of the coaches are really like a cheerleader. Wonderful. You have to be whoever you are. That's just never really been me. If you're on a two-on-one, you make a great pass and that guy scores and you want me to tell you how good of a pass that was, I'm probably not your guy. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Me personally, I have a hard time getting excited about doing the things that you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not, I'm not, that's not right or wrong or anything, but that's just always been me. And that's something I've had to constantly work on. And it's only been in recent years that I've realized that today's player takes that as like, you don't believe in them or you don't trust them or how do I, what do I need to do for them to understand putting them on the court? That's me saying, I trust you. You know what I mean? I think me having to change a little bit, but also having to just take that on and have those conversations a lot of times in advance to get better at that, because that's, has never really been one of my strong suits. I'm not a, a raw, raw type of guy. The way we're talking now is the same way I'd be talking to you. If you just turned it over three times in a two point game, there's a minute to go. That's just my personality. And so I've always just tried to be myself and, you know, sometimes it doesn't match the moment, but it's me. Yeah. And I would say having been around you enough and the team enough, that is exactly how you stay composed. There's not a lot of up and down. It's pretty even keel. I just think it's very interesting. I don't know if you've ever reflected on it as I'm mirroring it back, but having a a JV coach who was instrumental in your own life, transformational in regards to the confidence that he instilled in you and taking that to now where you're saying that's never been a strong suit of mine where I'm a praise guy. So how are you taking that lesson that was super important to you and not paying it forward per se, but utilizing that lesson with your teams? 
Yeah, there was one part in there and, and maybe you missed it. What I'm talking about is in relation to basketball. The thing that's the most important to me in coaching is I never, on the 10th grade, I didn't want to be a coach because Jeff White taught me how to shoot, pass, and dribble or whatever. He changed the trajectory of my life and I wanted to be able to offer that up to other people. The conversations that I'm having with our kids over the years are about real life, making them think in bigger terms. Why are you thinking you want to be this? Why are you thinking in terms of being an employee instead of an employer? Why do you think that the next logical step is in graduate school? Why do you think basketball is your only way out of your situation? My conversations are much more in depth in terms of the big picture and the broader scope. In basketball, you're right. I'm just not that person, but I'm just always real. If you're messing up, I'm just going to tell you you're messing up. And if you're doing well, I'll tell you, but I'm just not going to get excited about either end of that. Now, you graduate, like you get into medical school or you have your first child or like, those are the things that I'm going to be excited about. And I think, you know, by and large, our guys know that. And so it's different. I just don't want to be, you know, I do coach basketball for a living. And, and before I came to Monterey Bay, I had a decent level of success <laughs> and we're on our way here, hopefully, but I don't want to be thought of as that. I want our guys to just now they're done playing for me. They're, I'm their friend and I'm somebody that can be there for them for all the life's ups and downs. And so that's, for me, that's what it's always been about. What do you feel if you had to capture it? Is the thing you do as a coach or as a program that has had the greatest ripple effect on your culture? Are there things that you took from each of your stops, freshman coach, girls coach, assistant, Boise, back, but are there things that have been a through line or not, but it's like this has been transformational in what we do and this is something that I offer out there to others or I will always take with me to the next place? Yeah, that's one of the real beauties of college athletics. And I remember when I was the high school coach and I was contemplating making the move to be into college sports. And that is that in high school, for the most part, you got who you got. And in college, the biggest difference is you have a chance to choose who you work with. Mm -hmm. And I've always taken that really seriously. So the first part of, you know, culture is who you allow to be in it. And so in recruiting, focusing on the person and, and not the player has always just been a big part of how you build it. And so that would be the one main common thing. Now you move from place to place, you've got to learn a different niche. You've got to learn in terms of like coaches, who you're talking to, who can you trust, who can you not trust? So you have hits and misses along the way, just like an employer of a company, you hire good people that fit your culture and, and maybe you hire good people that don't fit your culture. And so that happens too. But that part has been a big deal. And then I just think like we're, we've always been a program everywhere that I've been where we're not afraid to have hard conversations. And a lot of it is just like in my personality is, again, I just like to say what it is. And hopefully you have a good enough relationship with the kids that they're not taking it as like an attack on them when things need to change or be fixed. But I think just think being open and honest, and I don't know that you know, I've never been the coach with like all the preseason teamwork. Like I've never been much on that. I feel like your first 
obligation should always be to the team. And we just talk about why that is and the power that comes from being all together. And I think once you've done your job in recruiting and you have those conversations, we don't say, hey, the team is not doing this or that we name the names. Mm. And, and I think we challenge people to make real changes. Mm-hmm. And if they're making errors that affect the team, like we challenge them in front of the team to fix it. I would I imagine with your personality and the way in which you stay pretty even keeled, it's never about demeaning the kid or putting them on blast per se, as much as just like, Hey, here's the thing. Here's our standard. Here's where you're not living up to it. And the team, you need to help this individual do so. You and I, we're older. So we think that if you're 19, you don't know, you might think you're being attacked, even if it's a monotone attack, like, <laughs> so, so, you know, it, all of it goes back to, you have to have a good relationship with your kids. You have to do everything you can. You don't, hit a home run on all of those relationships, but it has to be a constant effort on your part. And then in recruiting, you got to tell them like, if some area is not going well, I'm going to tell you it's not going well. If it's going great, I'm going to be the first person to tell you it's going great. You just may not feel it the way you would from some other people, because both those things are going to sound the same coming out of my mouth. So that, I think that's where it's probably a little bit different here, but uh, like I said, you got to be who you are, right? You can't fake it. If I go in there and I'm the rah-rah or I'm the cuss-out guy, like, they're not going to buy it. Well, our kids would call that, you're quiet yelling at us. Or at <laughs> Stop quiet yelling at me. We, we call it the non-cuss cuss-out. That's, that's what we've gotten it to the years. That's funny. So as a college coach, your day is structured a little bit differently than a high school coach where you're teaching and then you're going out and, and coaching. You have more time to make sure you're fulfilling the obligations of your job, but also probably to go out and observe other basketball teams practice. But given the camaraderie of many college athletic departments, I would imagine you get out and see some of your colleagues coach as well in other sports. Have you learned anything that you've brought back to your own team through those experiences of observation of either other basketball coaches or coaches that have nothing to do with basketball? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. You're right. One of the really cool things about the coaching fraternity is the access that you can have to other people's programs. Wherever, if you're a coach, I don't care if you're the freshman coach at LeGrand High School. If you reach out to somebody on pretty much any level, you're likely to get a response because even if you're Coach K, like you had to pay your dues and work your way up. A lot of our stories are similar in that you had to to start at the very bottom. Everybody has done laundry. Everybody has had to walk their kids to class. Everybody has. And I think the good ones, they never forget that. And so I think like being able to go around and get into other programs and watch things is definitely one of the best parts. The other thing that you learn is what not to do. I can remember as a coach going out recruiting and watching practices and just going, boy, like I would never do this. But those are important lessons. Point two, coach, that that you've brought back into yours that were maybe not uh, a specific technical or strategic match, but even conceptual. Like, that's great. I'm stealing that. I was there for three years, but when I was at Boise, what they did was really great is they learned how to quantify things that I didn't really realize were quantifiable at the time. This has become popular now, but we were really one of the first teams that was tracking touches. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we had a manager go around with the chart and a pen and he was tracking how many times guys touched each other, pat them on the back or 
high five or whatever. And so we were, and we were telling our guys like, Hey, you know what, man, you're just into yourself a little bit too much. And here's some of the evidence mm. of why that is, or like these, this is why this guy wins all the time in practice. He does this. And we would show film clips. Like sometimes you, you go to programs and you'd have film of, you know, how to break down a ball screen versus ice coverage. And you might have Steve Nash on there doing it and he'd be great. Like we were having film sessions of Steve Nash, like going around, just high-fiving his teammates, like that no basketball plays, no, just like him, like turning it over and going and giving a high-five or him missing a shot or somebody missing a shot and him like giving him a little bit of love. We had a whole clip on Matthew Del Vadova during his time at St. Mary's. And it was like, you know, like, how does a guy like Matthew Del Vadova become a 10-year veteran in NBA? Like, oh, it makes no sense. And then you start diving into these other things and you get your team to apply it. And so that was, you know, like taking something that they wouldn't normally see as important or quantifiable and finding a way to quantify that is something that Boise did a great job of. And it's not just the touching was one example, but you try to find ways to make a chart of something that should be common sense that they, it's not common sense to that just yet. So they can go, oh, okay, like I could be better at this. I think that was a big one. There's a million different things that I could probably call it to, but that, that one was, I think that was really powerful for me. So this may be out of left field and I'm sure you will duck and dodge and, and handle this well. What's the best thing you've learned from a coaching standpoint from a non-basketball coach? Oh, geez. You know what? I, I read a lot. I podcast a lot. If that's how you say that, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I really try my best to stay away from basketball for the most part. If I'm looking, if I want to hear a European coach talk about ball screen coverages, I might listen to basketball there. And I try to find similarities um, in how people find success in other areas, whether it be business or football or baseball or whatever. And like, for example, there's a book, Gridiron Genius, and I'm sure maybe you've read it, but it talks about... Belichick talks about Walsh, some of the similarities, and it's taken from the perspective of somebody who had a chance to work for both of them and Al Davis as well. And just what makes those guys different when it comes to like me becoming like better at my craft, I, I try to stay away from basketball and just look to all sorts of other things just to keep my mind off of it. Otherwise I would be totally consumed by it. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be if, and we're of the same age for the most part. So I used this the other day. If we were to jump in the DeLorean and go back in time and you could offer advice to your younger self that would serve young Coach Williams throughout the rest of your career and, and allow you to jump to the front of the line, so to speak, in, in knowledge, what would you offer up? Boy, I would... I don't know that I would change any of my experiences because I, I definitely made some mistakes along the way throughout life and in coaching. But honestly, a lot of those low points in my life have given me perspective on being able to help kids who are going through their low points. Every season passes, you rarely get through it without at least one of your kids having to deal with major tragedy or turmoil or even if it's not that current team, as when you coach your team 
is never ending. My team is 20 plus years in the making. Thanksgiving morning when I'm texting, hey, happy Thanksgiving, I got to sit down and go through about 20 years worth of rosters to get to all these people. When a former player calls me and is in tears because he thinks that maybe his wife and he may be getting divorced or they're calling off their wedding and doesn't know what to do. Me having gone through the things, maybe not direct directly related to that situation, but having gone through a lot of hard times and made a lot of wrong turns, like allows me to be able to feel their pain in some ways mm -hmm. and have some sympathy and compassion for what they're going through and be able to deal with it in a way that I hope is allows them to get through it a little bit easier. And then also just the understand, like I fully understand that life is hard because life was never easy for me. And my journey and my coaching path was never easy. Mm -hmm. When other people struggle, I can say to them in full honesty, that's a normal part. Being depressed is normal. Being sad is normal. Sometimes if you're angry, that's normal. It's like really all about how you deal with it. Now, let me tell you some ways that have helped me. And I think if I had a different journey, mm -hmm. if I had made all the right moves and maybe my career, maybe I'm coaching at a different place or I make more money or whatever, maybe I don't have those experiences. And that's really why I do it. Would I have loved to have been the head coach at University of Washington? For sure. That was my dream job. Mm -hmm. I could easily say to answer your question, if I wanted to be the coach at UW, I probably should have skipped playing and just been a manager at UW because mm -hmm. that's where my relationships would have been built. I would have learned the game from that perspective and that uh, level. And so with my passion for the game and love for coaching, could I have been a coach like at that level or at that school? Yeah, but probably put me on a different uh, pathway to hopefully try to get there a better one. But that wouldn't have been the reason why I got into it in the first place. Like it would have made my, I would have had a nicer car and I would have lived on the lake, uh, something that would have been great. But Ultimately, I'm living in a great place and I feel like my journey has allowed me to do what I always envision myself being able to do, which is hopefully be able to touch people in a positive way, whether they would make it with me or without me, but be there for them in either case. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're saying live into the experiences as you are having them as they will help mold and shape you into who you become. Absolutely. And at the same time, if you are strategizing for some goal that you have envisioned, take a step back and think about what those paths could look like and reevaluate that and come back to that on a regular basis. Yeah, I think it's everybody has to have a goal for what they want out of whatever it is they're doing. I have great friends who like their goal was always to be a division one head coach and that was their goal. And for them to make it is, is powerful and meaningful and that means a lot they've accomplished something. But honestly, that was never really my deal. If I was still the freshman boys coach at LeGrand High School, my goal was to be a coach. All that other stuff, is that's all great for their goals. All those things are important for them. But I would be just as good or I would be able to do what I want to do if I was a sixth grade girls coach you know, that doesn't, that, that's the things that I, that are important to me would have been important at any level of coaching. It's just, it's interesting how coaching goes. I would have been happy staying, being the freshman boys, but the next year the JV job came up and they asked me to do it. I wasn't happy doing that. But then a couple of years later, the varsity girls opened up and they asked me to do that. And then same thing, Eastern Oregon, he called me to want to do it. It was just like, 
a chance again to maybe recruit kids, but ultimately the goal was always the same at every single step of the journey, you know, like just the location change and some of the checks as well. Yeah. And I think you said something before we started recording that is important, which is be good at the job you have versus worrying about what the next one is. And that will serve you well. And it sounds like on your path, that has been the case. Yeah, I I really do believe that if you're looking forward to the next job, um, I think it takes some of the focus away from the job that you're doing. So I don't know. And I, I, so I've never, people ask me a lot, what are your goals? Like even now, like, what's your goals? You know, like I've been coaching for 20 something years. Like I don't have, I didn't then, but I certainly don't have now. Like I'm the head coach of a basketball team and that's wonderful. Like that's college basketball team division two in a great place to live. Like this, these are all like well beyond what I ever could have imagined. Like, I just wanted to be a coach. I wanted to like go to buy a new car. And this one of the most, like the things that I loved, I thought about this for a decade. No, I'm dead serious. One of the proudest moments of my whole life was the first time that I got a car loan and I was filling out the application and it said occupation and I put basketball coach. <laughs> I was like, I thought that was the best thing of all time because I was a teacher or, you know, I was a, but to say that I was the basketball coach or if I'm playing golf with three people, I don't know when they, it gets around by the seventh hole, what do you do? When I get to say I coach basketball, it still doesn't even seem real in a lot of ways. So it's pretty cool. When we often text or talk and it's like, how's it going? Living the dream, living where we live and doing what we get to do. It seems to be that case. So coach, thanks for being here today. Looking forward to seeing you in person when we're allowed to and, and support the otters on the next step of the growth journey you have them on. Well, I appreciate you having me. I've listened to every episode. You'll have to excuse me if I skip this one because I really don't want to hear myself, but I subscribe, I rate and all that. I might unsubscribe, subscribe just to get you up there, but you're doing a wonderful job. Great job hosting and, and unbelievable guests. And I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot already from the first three. I'll skip this one and I can't wait for number five. All right. Thanks coach. Talk soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give contacts and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.